0: You're listening to Marginalia, a podcast from New City Presbyterian Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Marginalia is a place where the staff and pastors of New City sit down and chat about what's happening in the life of our community and our Sunday sermons. So today I'm here with Brian and Josh, and we are talking about the healing of the official's son. So let's get going.
1: We're glad to have you back. Welcome Welcome back. Thank you. We, well, the other guys I don't think missed you as much as I did. Um, they commented several times. They were glad you were gone, and I thought that was particularly rude, so I was trying to. She knows that's
2: not true. She edited the I episode. Did. Oh. Well, we did. Was, our listener wrote in and was very concerned. <laughs> we did make it seem rather ominous at the it,
0: beginning of did. the <laughs> I was the wondering what, what happened to me <laughs> when I was editing it. <laughs> Am I
2: okay? As far as we know, it was just a scheduling appointment. So oh, wow. I'm not sure what else is more important than this, but would, the world may never know.
0: Hospitality.
2: Yep. Okay.
1: That's yeah. well, you guys. <laughs> it is uh, National Middle Name Pride Day today. Uh, what a day! Yeah. What a day! You guys ever had? You know, did you, with your middle name? Did anybody ever call you that? Do you go by it did every you, day? Well, that's true. You are William <laughs> Brian.
0: Every day is Ferry national junior. Junior. middle name pride yep. day. For it has Bryan. been the
2: bane of my existence because I have all these aliases. Because back in the seventies or eighties, they didn't have you know there wasn't computers that could, so it was always truncated. Mm-hmm. So like I'm William B. I'm W B. I'm W Brian, uh, and then I'm a junior. So sometimes I have the junior, sometimes I don't. So sometimes I have to sign these like affidavit things. It's like these are all my aliases. So it's kind of cool. I have aliases. I do like WB. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. I think I'm calling you that. W. No. no one's ever called me W that someone took that nickname. Yeah,
1: I think so. WB, I like that. You uh, you don't go by your middle name. I
0: Annie. don't. My middle name's Elaine. Elaine. So it's, I share it with my aunt and now my daughter. So.
1: And the star Seinfeld. It's
0: true. Yeah. I yeah.
1: knew that was going well. it's the so most well, famous Elaine I can think of for people in my generation
0: Phoebe Elaine. Mm-hmm. So we have Friends and Seinfeld mm-hmm. represented. David. That's good. Yeah.
1: Mine's David. Uh, I don't think I've ever been called by that. Uh, you guys ever have a nickname?
0: Um, my family is a family of nicknames, but yeah. Abby, Bugabite.
2: Bugabite.
1: Mm-hmm. Hmm. <laughs> the like last name one.
2: fairy is always just fairy. Fairy boat, real original.
1: Yeah. <laughs> when my daughter one time was going to your house to play when we were the kids were little she did ask me where the wings were like where are their wings
2: like yeah mm. we've had to clarify that it's fairy as in the boat the big manly strong boat that carries large vehicles across raging bodies of water not the, not the little like,
0: elfin creatures and the kids
2: have taken and even yeah they've taken a the saying you know like the boat not the tooth is you know how they clarify how it's spelled oh. Both not,
1: Yeah. Uh, a lot of other <laughs> things going on this week. It's Johnny Appleseed Day, March 11th, native of Indiana. Indiana.
0: Or spent some time there at least. Uh,
1: okay. It, Indiana claims anybody's ever been to their it's state. That's very true. Is <laughs> he the one with the giant blue ox? No,
0: that's Paul Bunyan. Oh,
1: yeah. wrong guy. Mm. Johnny Appleseed planted, planted apple trees. Apple trees, yeah. Apple trees, yeah. Uh, Popcorn Lovers Day on. Uh, uh, Every day? Uh, March 12th, <laughs> I believe. Uh, favorite snack, you guys?
0: Yeah. Um,. Popcorn, no. If not
1: popcorn, it's
2: pretzels probably.
1: You love pretzels. Pretzel bread you love. Mm-hmm. Anything pretzel.
0: Yeah.
1: I He's the most predictable orderer at a restaurant. If there's a pre- any sandwich that has pretzel bread, that's what he's getting. Yep.
0: Interesting. Potato chips. Mm-hmm. I will, whenever we travel, I make it a point to get potato chips at the think, grocery stores. I,
1: I think I, I really do think popcorn might be my my thing. And Patties over in, um, okay, in yeah. um, uh, Hyde Park has great. Great popcorn, and then of course uh, everybody will want to be aware of Friday the Thirteenth this Friday, and it's also earmuff day.
0: <laughs> so pull out your earmuffs, get your and
1: earmuffs on, saw on your hockey mask. Shouldn't earmuff day be January or February I rather than March? I think so. I mean, I yeah. guess if you're
0: in but Minnesota, you the perfect spring ear protection though. Mm-hmm. My you don't head, need my
2: head is open, <laughs> yes. but my ears are still a little cold. You know, in
1: uh, in England they call them ear defenders. <laughs> At least when I was wearing earmuffs once upon a time in London, somebody complimented my ear defenders. So mm. if you weren't here on Sunday, um, we talked about uh, the healing of the official son from John chapter four, and really about the nature of faith uh, in general. Um, one of the things that is true of the John the Apostle is that he mentions the word faith or belief or believing three times as much as any of the... Writers of the other Gospels, and uh, therefore it's a special emphasis, and it comes up in particular here in several ways. In the first part of our passage, we see some of the more interesting people who are uh, shown by John to have faith: the Samaritans, uh, and 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 then the official son, who's a, a worker in Herod's court, Herod Antipas's court. People you wouldn't think would. Would normally be presented in uh, in in the way that it is would have been a surprise to John's early readers. They get real faith um, while well, um, the Galileans, the people who grew up around Jesus and, and were Jewish and were looking for the Messiah, um, Jesus says uh, that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. And uh, and then the the story of the um, the official as as he begs for his son's life really does give us a little bit of a paradigm for the the stages or the trajectory or the journey you might say of faith so that's what we talked about on sunday
0: well i think we have a few people to thank as we're talking about this um, sermon and the sermon series as a whole so brian do you want to share a little bit about the art that we've been sharing on sunday yeah for
2: those folks who have been coming around um hopefully they've been enjoying the different artwork on the cover of the bulletin each week some of the artwork hanging in the sanctuary, digitally represented on the screens. We've had some of our artists, or a different one each week, taking a turn to represent um, the Bible story and the scripture passage of the week. So Gail Frazier started us off with um, a couple of the large O'Hos that are still hanging in sanctuary, um, one representing water and wine. And in the bulletin each week, it's been fun. There's been a little description um, from the artist about each of the... Um, each of the pieces of artwork. And then Daniel Kersey had um, the cleansing of the temple. And this last week, Mitch Capoletti had some artwork for this um, healing of the officials. And then David and Rachel Hammett have some coming up, John Sauter and Julie Holiday. So we're really grateful for them for sharing their gifts, for encouragement. And
0: Yeah, I've loved seeing the different ways people express those stories um, digitally and yeah visually.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, enlivens the imagination, um, freshens it up a little bit. It's, you know, seeing the different gifts that God's given his people and creativity. It's it's really neat and inspiring.
0: Yeah. Well, as we think about what you talked about on Sunday, Josh, I was struck by, you alluded to this already, but the people who believe are the Samaritans and the official. And that, um, we see a community of forming. A community of faith forming in kind of an unlikely place. So, thinking about this story, I was wondering, how does that fact and that aspect of this story challenge you guys as you think about community, um, building community, and just generally serving others?
1: My daughter and I are reading Lord of the Rings. I think I've mentioned it lately. It's we're gonna. I'm going to be referencing this for a while because we're reading it <laughs> like five pages at a time, and it's quite you know uh, yes. quite a journey when. When you do it that way. But um, one of the things I was telling her the other night was, um, you know, one of the sub themes of the book is this little community that forms. But even a sub theme from that is like I was telling her is like, you got to be nice to, to everyone that you meet because you never know if the, you know, scraggly looking guy in the corner might turn out to be the next king of the world, you know, and, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, Strider, Aragorn, Mm -hmm. you know, that whole thing. And, um, we were just talking about that, how you can't always predict who's going to be important in Mm -hmm. your life or in your story at different times. And so I think part of community building is an openness to, uh, seeing, you know, who it is that God might bring around to be a part of your life, part of your story at a different part. Um, you know, just a different stage in your life, and I can say even for like community groups and those kind of things over the years, I've probably been in a different community group maybe each year for the last fifteen, sixteen, seventeen years, something like that. And I would say every time there's somebody I would not have pegged as being like, or I wouldn't have thought of ahead of time as like, oh, this person will be a big deal in my life this year. And without a doubt, without fail, there always is somebody that I would never have selected. Just most times, just because I didn't know him very well, but. End up becoming, you know, an important part of my life. So,
2: yeah, I stumbled on this article in the Gospel Coalition this week, and one of the key phrases in it is that community is built, not found. That is, it's something that, um, like you said, is maybe surprises us as to who becomes important, and it's something that we can that that we can have a part in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think the story tells us that, like you said, there are maybe some unexpected people that might be a part of what we can build um, if we would be open um, to letting it be that way. And there's also going to potentially be some scorn um, from some folks who maybe are trying to control things, um, trying to decide who's in and who's out, draw the lines kind of tight. Um, And this broke some, some boundaries.
1: When you're talking about um, community being built rather than what was the contrast? Built, not found, built, not found. What, uh, what do you guys think about what, what, how do you participate in building community? What does that look like?
0: I think for me the biggest thing has been just to show up. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that's the advice. I, that advice is true in every season of my life. Whether I'm someone who's lonely and looking for community, just to show up to the things that are already happening. Or if I'm in a spot where I do have a community around me, show up for the other person mm-hmm. and be ready to serve and be ready to move toward the one who's lonely. You talked about, Josh, on Sunday, the tweet from um what's Rebecca
1: McLaughlin yes
0: yeah, so we're like a, mm. a lonely a person who's alone is an emergency is that how she said it yeah mm-hmm.
2: your friends can wait was one of the other rules and,
0: and so having that mindset whenever I'm in a big social gathering is like looking for that person who's alone and moving toward them and that's the emergency that I need to deal with right then so right. show up is always my advice
2: I would, that Woody Allen quote 80 percent or 90 percent of life is just showing up yeah and that's Kind of community. I mean, the other part of that is, a lot of times it just takes time. If you show up to your first community group of the Uh year, and you expect to have um, whatever your vision of um, thick community or authentic community is, be expected to be there the first day. Maybe not, but over time, week after week, showing up, um, it starts to grow and build into something more.
1: Yeah, you talk about time. Uh, also expectations. Mm. You know, uh, I always talk about friendship in general, like the need for diversification. The more pressure you put on any one relationship to be the thing that Mm -hmm. gives you everything that you need, um, one, the more likely you're going to be disappointed and probably the more likely you are to alienate, you know, the other person that you so much want to get so much from versus being willing to take what you can what, what people can give, you know, across a spectrum. In other words, not looking for everything to happen through one person or even a couple of people, but, you know, looking to diversify a little bit in, in your community and not placing so high of expectations on one or two people or even one kind of gathering and having a couple, couple of things to go to.
2: And creating community with our neighbors. We, we mm-hmm. may not move into a neighborhood that has all of these things established that we would love to see mm-hmm. happen, But you can do something Mm -hmm. and you can work to build it. And maybe it's one little brick at a time. But over time, you know, a bunch of bricks adds up to a a pretty significant house Mm -hmm. or a building if you do it little by little, brick by brick. Yeah. And isn't that the difference between being a consumer
1: of community versus a real participant, you Mm -hmm. know, in it? A consumer is looking for something that's already built that I can receive Mm -hmm. um, versus a, a real participant in community. You're part of the project, the building. Yeah. Um, the participation. And I think that is, you know, it's a big difference Mm -hmm. uh, in in your approach. But circling back to your original question, um, Abby, about uh, the part of the story and maybe throughout the Gospel Mm -hmm. of John is who believes and who Mm -hmm. doesn't. It seems like the people who are the the most messed up or who have messed up the most or just the most distant um, culturally, racially, you know, that... The people you would not expect to be around Jesus are the ones who who come to him most readily and and others you would expect don't um, what does that mean in terms of shaping our own uh, ministry philosophy um, for the way we live and walk and carry ourselves in our neighborhoods and our workplaces and our schools what What should we be thinking about in that regard?
2: I think it's important that we not communicate to people that you have to have everything together before you come in or that we and i i know I kind of do this there's certain Maybe people that I encounter who, for some reason, maybe say they're against faith or whatever, and I just assume that that's the way it will always be and that there's no sort of like, I'll not write them off, but just be like, well, they don't care. They wouldn't be interested in this thing, which is just an assumption that a lot of times is not true, judging by the people that we see in Scripture who are most attracted to the message that Jesus has given to the person of Jesus. And no one is beyond... No one is beyond reach. No one is beyond hope. And the people that we think are probably least likely may, in fact, be the most likely uh, who be interested in the message, who um, you know, may be closest to Jesus in a way that we haven't even thought of yet.
0: Yeah, that was the first thing that came to mind. And then also as we think about the story of the official son, he's dying. Um, being willing to move toward people in their pain or being safe places for those people to come to, And so that's a place where we where people who weep with those who weep.
1: I think, too, this is something where, um, to use theological terms for a moment, missiology and ecclesiology come together. I mean, it's an ecclesiastical ecclesiastical, um, or an ecclesial question to ask, when does the church come into someone's story? When Mm -hmm. do we think that should happen ideally? And and how you answer that really probably has a lot to say about what kind of community you're trying to form. Mm -hmm. In other words, Mm -hmm. if somebody— if we, if the assumption is somebody comes to the church after they've figured it out, maybe they've listened got to podcasts or read their books yeah. or whatever. Maybe not even got it all together, but right, they've have decided the right what right, they yeah. believe mm-hmm. about Jesus, about the world, about ethics, about gender, sex, politics, yeah. whatever it may be. Um, and then they come into the church. You know, then you're going to shape your community one way. On the, on the other hand, if the church is the starting point in many ways, if it is as Leslie Newbegin once famously said that the church is the hermeneutic of the gospel. The church Mm -hmm. becomes the way somebody can understand the gospel as it's played out, fleshed out, embodied, you know, in a group of people in their lives. Then without um, relinquishing any of the key doctrinal commitments— uh you are trying to reduce barriers that may be there mm-hmm. that allow somebody to come be a part of the community to some extent now that participation in the community may look a little different if mm-hmm. you don't share the same values but if if part of the community's existence is for the outsider so that they get a chance to see what the gospel looks like you know then i think that that does shape how you make your community what you think what what's your first foot forward look like, and then what's what is your welcome? Now yeah, like? all the all
2: prerequisites right? are removed except for need. Hmm.
1: Yeah, that's true. Some thing you need most is need. Yeah. yeah,
0: that's good. Well, kind of playing off of that, Josh, you quoted um, David Biscrove, and you said, "Real faith is going back to what we know and extrapolating out to the things we don't know." So, how have you seen that in your own life, and then? kind of going deeper into this community question, how has community played a role in your life in this work of extrapolation in the midst of faith?
1: Well, you know, I've been where I've been here now for a while. I moved to Cincinnati in 2003, but before that I moved around quite a bit. Um, you know, I was, grew up in Columbus, went to school in, in one place in Southwest Ohio, and then moved to Europe moved back, moved to New Jersey moved back you know all those kind of things and so um, in those that moving um, a lot of that was destabilizing for me and, and to kind of tie back to the um, notion of community for a minute I was making whole new sets of friends and a uh, new kind of community and so for me uh, uh, on the front end of all those scenarios even before I made the move to these different places but certainly right when I got there, one of the hardest things for me to be able to do was to um have peace about that that i that God can help me build a life here in this new place what what would that look like i had I had good friends where I was before I had this to do on the weekends i you know had people who knew me and so on and so what I had to do a lot of times is remind myself this is kind of like looking for a sign right like looking for something that God had done for me in the past and then extrapolating out to the future the unknown of the future is looking back and saying you know i didn't i didn't know anybody when I went to Princeton, and um, and 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 yet God brought some of the neatest people I've ever known, you know, into my life in this place where I started with fresh, with with no relationships, and then so when I moved to Cincinnati. Um, having to remind myself feeling robbed in many ways of those stripped of the, that comfort and that security of all those friendships from New Jersey, but having to remind myself like God did this for me before he can do it again. Like he can bring people into my life. It might not look exactly the same. It might not, you know, um, flesh out in the same way, but he showed himself to be faithful. And so I have to believe that the God who can do this before can do it again.
2: Yeah, we sing songs like Great is Thy Faithfulness and Praise the Lord the Almighty. We'll sing it again this week. And there's one line, Hast thou not seen how thy desires have been granted in what he ordaineth? It's this, you know, if you look, have you not seen everything you want? You know, we're satisfied in you. Everything you want has been granted in what God ordains. And so looking back at those things provides the fuel for the future, even though it's maybe unknown, certainly unknown. You don't know what's coming. But you go, okay, even in all of those things, you've just seen your desires fulfilled in what he's ordained, and that's you know, gives that confidence for the future. You know, great is your faithfulness. Look at how God's been faithful in the past so that you've got some fuel to keep you going.
0: When Mike and I started talking about um what it would look like to grow our family and add kids to our family, there was a lot of like fear and trepidation in my heart because of how Doing that like, makes you incredibly vulnerable to pain, whether we're talking about infant loss, miscarriage, um, infertility. So even just taking that first step into that future was really scary for me. Um, and how the Lord met me in that was meeting – with a dear friend, Carrie Albritton, who no longer is here, um, over the course of a year.
1: She moved away. She did not. <laughs> she did not. She's <laughs> 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 no longer with us. Oh,
2: man. It's twice.
1: Two weeks in a row. Can we have another eight-minute moment of silence <laughs> like we did it last out, week? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Begin
0: out. No. Um, and just her graciousness in doing this work with me and extrapolating, because I was in a spot where I couldn't do the extrapolation on my own. And so she helped me connect the dots, Um and kind of pushed me in that way so that I could enter, you know, that season of um, pregnancy and having a child with, like, joy and faith versus, like, fear and paranoia. So I'll always be thankful for that and how that has um, shaped me and continues to shape me now. It wasn't like, now I've had a baby and we're good. <laughs> but just that's a, that was an incredibly formative relationship and season of life to prepare me for what's to come.
1: Yeah, this story about the, and uh, we got onto that David Bisgrove quote because, you know, I was trying to tease out a little bit on Sunday. What does it look like for the, the official, or this royal official, going forward, mm-hmm. right? So um, he's seen Jesus do something remarkable, heals his very ill son who's at the point of death it says in the text and um so then you know going forward in this man's life what i was trying to tease out is he's still gonna face all the same things i mean just because this healing happened once and we don't know i mean i mean well we do know his son eventually died Mm -hmm. right like he could have been 80 he could have been 40 he could have been 15 you know um this man would have incurred all kinds of the other normal hardships in life. And so he was going to face other storms. In other words, it wasn't okay. There was this one Jesus showed up. He brought the desired result and then that's, that's it. I mean, this man has a a story just like the rest of us that there's going to be other difficulties. And so what does he do going forward? Well, he had an experience of Jesus. He saw Jesus show up in a really dramatic way. And so then what does it look like to go forward? Is it's, it's to revisit Christ's faithfulness and, not pigeonhole him, because this is a little bit unique, and I try to make sure I mentioned this, you know, on Sunday. In this scenario, he had a direct promise from Jesus, go, your son will live. Um, So if he's praying in the future and he's reflecting back to this incident, what he would have to do is say, look, I know you can do this. I know you can help me. You've helped me before. I don't have a promise now like I had the last time, but I do know what kind of God you are. Mm -hmm. I do know what kind of savior you are. And I know you can do it. And I know that if you don't do it, there must be a reason for that too. Um, And that's, I think it's important to qualify when you think about that, because the stories like this can be misused and manipulated mm-hmm. in such ways so that you think, if I just have enough faith, then Jesus will do whatever I want. Mm-hmm. And I'm sympathetic to that because I've, I've had a sick kid. I've had a child who almost died and was within hours of, of dying. And, and he didn't, uh, which we're very thankful for, but he has other complications and he, this could happen again. I know that I'm aware of that. Um, and I have friends who have lost children and, or, or parents or, you know, sisters or brothers or whatever it may be, spouses. And um, I still think that the principle still applies of we look back to what Jesus has done in our life, some of it things we asked for and got, some of the things that we see him meeting us in the midst of pain and difficulty, but then it's still the extrapolating out of what we've learned of his character, what we've seen of what he's done. And then, of course, the biggest sign in the whole thing, the ultimate sign is Christ's death and resurrection and ascension, I should add, mm-hmm. uh, as well. And Paul constantly goes back to that, right? Like he, in the midst of sorrow and suffering and tribulation and things like that, he is constantly going back to, you know, if he's, if God has given you his own son, won't he give you everything else you need? In, in other words to say, if the pain is coming, you might not know what it means in your life, but at least you know this it can't mean that he doesn't love you because he's given you a son, right? That's returning to the sign, Mm -hmm. you know, and then extrapolating out. what do I know about God? What can I pray for in response to that? So anyway, I'm...
0: And I also think that's a good reason to listen to other people's stories mm -hmm. of faith too because my experience is so limited and then hearing stories of people who have suffered and lost and that's not a failure of faith and being reminded of that and that's not a failure of God. That doesn't mean he's not good. And so drawing near to those people and letting those stories. You just don't extrapolate from the stories of healing. <laughs> you extrapolate from the stories of God's faithfulness, and I think that's a key piece of this.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I do love, uh, I mentioned, uh, if I can take us down another direction here mm-hmm. just really quickly, I, um, and I think maybe David Biskor pointed me to this as well, but that article um, from the New York Times from a few years ago 2014, Paul Kala mm-hmm. Nithi, who's a physician, 36-year-old physician, who got the the very difficult diagnosis of a, aggressive lung cancer. And he said, you know, um, in, in some sense after getting that, you know, he'd been the one delivering bad news as a physician for most of his life, and now he was on the other side of things, getting the bad news. And he said, you know, getting that diagnosis at once, nothing changed and everything changed. He said nothing changed in the sense that I always knew I was going to die and I didn't know when it was going to be. Same thing, even after the cancer diagnosis, I know I'm going to die. I don't know exactly when it'll be. But then he says, I knew it acutely. There's something that heightened it. And pain, suffering, difficulty, um, what it does a lot of times is it pulls back the curtain on the needs that always exist, you know, for all of us all the time. And the official's son, we're talking about real faith here, you know, that, that suffering, that difficulty was the thing that created the possibility for faith or it created the awareness of his need, you might say, um, to to cause him to walk 15 miles, to go and beg for his son's life with Jesus. Whereas maybe, you know, would he have gone 15 minutes out of his way before? Who knows? But, um, I, I've seen that in the lives of other people. I've seen that in my own life as well, that the hardships have been, uh, the times where I've become, it, it didn't create the need. It just surfaced the needs that were there. And, um, let me know that know it acutely I don't know if and you i know. wonder if
2: i wonder if that's one of the benefits of lent in our world and culture is we death may be the last taboo we don't really talk about it we have all these you know euphemisms for it we don't like to talk about it but there's a long christian tradition of considering death and in lent you know at ash wednesday we put the ashes on our heads and we hear somebody say to us you know from dust you came into dust you will return like we face our mortality but that's You know, Psalm 91, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. It's by staring into the death and the brokenness. I mean, this official, like, death was not something that you farmed out to an industry.
1: You used to have to go (coughs) to to the church through the churchyard, which was often the Uh graveyard, right? So even on your way up to worship, you walked through the reminders of death.
0: Yeah, I think Psalm 90, it's so easy to, like, avoid that commandment when we don't know when it's going to be. Teach us to number our days. I have infinite days. It feels like right now I have infinite days, even though I know intellectually that's not true. But the moment I brush up with death or my mortality, the mortality of someone else, that suddenly gives Psalm ninety twelve so much more weight that, like, my days are limited and I need to number them. Um, And one of my favorite things to do when we travel is to walk through those graveyards and to see what's been written about the people who have died and letting that shape how i think about my life has been a really powerful practice. We order headstones. i think we order
2: our lives in such a way that we keep it away from us. We don't want to face it. Um and because death is a death is a terrible foe, right? It's not we don't want to necessarily face it, but we don't you know, we have places where you you know, we have a hospice which is a wonderful thing where you can go and you can die in peace but like We're not dying in our homes, you know, among our family anymore. We, you know, this, I'm sure the official would have had lots of experiences with death much more present. It was much, maybe much more of a part of life. I'm making that up to some extent, but certainly I feel like we keep it farther away because we don't want to have to reckon with it. But there is some real value in reckoning with the reality of death and suffering. My wife's
1: father is a mortician. So she grew up around like doing Mm -hmm. her homework while bodies were being embalmed. Poor woman. Her dad is a mortician. Her husband's a pastor. She's got the weirdest stories, I'm sure. But um, yeah, I mean, in terms of death and uh, its role in our life, uh, you know, in in our community, you're right, there is a sense in which uh, I don't know if we know the psychological effects that exist from farming it out, like you say and and isolating ourselves from it, but I think it's probably um, it's myopic to think that there isn't a sense in which we're less prepared because we don't encounter it you know on a regular basis. It may be one of the reasons why you know the I mean the uh, it's almost a cliche that middle aged men. Uh, like Brian and my age, are are depressed. You know, like middle-aged men de- are depressed at a high level, and I think some of it is grappling with mortality. You can't do all the same things we used to. You start to add up the days. I've now, you know, in the point of my life where I have more books on my Amazon wish list than I know that I can read before I'll die. You know, those kind of things are like little ways of numbering your days. Like mm-hmm. that's, you know, that is a little bit unsettling to think about. It's like, oh, even if I read 55 books a year, you know, I wouldn't make it before 85 or 90, I wouldn't get through all these, but it's a different, different place in life.
0: Fortunately, I think there will be books in heaven, so yeah. you can read them, too.
1: Thank you. Yeah. That's good to hear. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's good. That's a good word.
0: Yeah.
2: Well, Marie Kondo won't be there to make you throw a whole bunch out. No. No. Okay,
0: good. I think we need Marie Kondo because of the fall,
2: Mm. and point. all
0: that will be reversed in heaven. My two cents. <laughs> Is that a good note to end on? Yeah, (laughs) that's great.
1: (laughs) We'll see you guys again next week, huh?
0: Yeah, and if you like the show, head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a rating and a review. We'd love to hear from you. Cheers. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Marginalia. For show notes or for more information about New City Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at newcitycency.org. That's new city, Thanks for listening.